thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. You can get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, November 16th, and we're doing another deep dive on a recent tech IPO. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Brian Feroldi. Brian, what's going on? Uh, Dylan, it's uh, the middle of November, and I'm looking outside at my house right now, and I see three inches of snow. (laughs) That's what's going on. What's going on with you? Uh, you know, we got a little snow here in the D.C. area as well. A uh, little surprise. Uh, it's going to be interesting because I am smoking a turkey uh, later today as part of a Friendsgiving get-together, and I was anticipating having a decent amount of deck space to do that. Uh, now there are a lot of wet leaves and snow out on my deck. Dylan, we're having a Friendsgiving uh, dinner today, too, so we'll be celebrating together in different states. <laughs> what are you on the hook for? What are you cooking, Brian? Uh, we have a ham that's going in the oven, and then we're going to be playing some board games tonight, which sounds like fun to me. How about you? That sounds turkey? awesome. Uh, we're doing an oven turkey. I'm doing a compound butter thing that I, I like to do, and then we're doing a smoked turkey as well. And then it's kind of on the friends to bring sides. We're hosting, so I feel like it's it's kind of on them to bring the mashed potatoes and the veggie options and maybe some mold wine, that kind of stuff. That's the way to do it. That is. Uh, before we can get to our, friend, our fun Friendsgivings, though, uh, we are going to be doing another breakdown of a company that has been publicly traded for a little bit, uh, and that is DocuSign. Uh, This is another software-as-a-services company, and Brian, I know how much you love the SaaS space, so I had to bring you on to talk about them. Absolutely. I love SaaS companies, and DocuSign is a recent IPO, and uh, I went through my checklist on them, and I think there's a lot to like about this business. Yeah, when, when we did that episode on Upwork a little while back, we got so much positive listener feedback on your approach uh, that it only made sense to do this again. Why don't we start out with the backstory on this company, how they got to where they are now? Sure. So DocuSign, as I'm sure many listeners know, they, they are a leader in the, uh, the move to e-signatures. So DocuSign was founded in uh, 2003 by an entrepreneur named Tan Gosner. And he looked around the world and he saw that everything was going digital, but the uh, a foundational business process, which is like the agreement where two sides of a parties uh, agree to some, some terms, that was still done using pen and paper. And that process had not been updated in centuries. So he decided to uh, disrupt the, the process and he founded DocuSign with the goal of moving the entire agreement online. And the opportunity that he saw would be if you could move it online, you would make it far faster, lower cost, and you would greatly improve accuracy over the traditional way. And if you look at DocuSign today, they now have hundreds of thousands of customers that uh, pay them for their, for their services. Uh, and millions of people have, have used DocuSign in one way or another. So they have been wildly successful. Yeah, and not only have we researched this company, we are users of the platform. Uh, I have used it uh, to make some uh, signatures for full internal stuff, and I know you've used it as well, Brian. Yeah, I used it actually just this week to open up a, a new account with um, with Vanguard. And when I was on the phone with the rep trying to open my account, he he told me that he was going to send me a DocuSign. So I think there's an argument to be made that the name has become synonymous with the product. Yeah, yeah, and we love to see that as investors because it means that a company has a pretty good foothold in a space. Um, with that background, 
on today's show, in case anyone missed the episode we did on Upwork, we're going to put DocuSign through Brian's patent-pending six-step stock ringer. Uh, That is going to be a look at the financials, moat, potential customers, management, and risks facing this business. And then we'll kind of wrap up talking a little bit about what we think of the stock and anything else people should be aware of. Brian, why don't we kick things off looking at the books? Okay. So, DocuSign went public in uh, April, and they raised about $629 million at their IPO before subtracting fees. Um, A good chunk of that, about $440 million, went right into the company's bank account, and another about $150 million uh, were used to cash out existing shareholders. After the, um, after the IPO, they had over $818 million in cash on their balance sheet uh, as of the end of uh, the second quarter and no debt. Uh, and then just a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, they added another $500 million through a convertible note offering that closed in September. So that did bring debt into their books, but it could be it's convertible. So it's a possibility that they might not have to pay that back. So this company has lots of cash and uh, a little bit of debt now. Yeah, and while there is cash in there from this IPO process, and while the company is growing a decent amount, um, it is currently operating at a gap loss, as people might expect for a relatively early stage uh, as a service business. Uh, this is something pretty common for the space. Yeah, DocuSign is purposely operating at a small gap loss because they are investing aggressively into growing out their uh, their, their their company, and specifically, they're spending heavily on sales and marketing. Uh, to put the number in context, though, last quarter, um, which was the second quarter, they they lost totaled about thirty six million dollars, which is really a drop in a bucket compared to their one point three billion plus in in cash that they now have on their balance sheet. And it's also important to know that that. Get that that loss was on a gap basis. If you look at their free cash flow, they actually produced eighteen million dollars in free cash flow during the same time period. So I don't think the gap loss is a a, a huge a huge issue. Turning our gaze to the second criteria you like to look at, Brian, uh, that is moat. And I think one of the reasons why you really focus on the SaaS space is because these products tend to be very sticky. Once you get people using them, uh, you get very comfortable using them, uh, there are pretty high switching costs with doing that. People get used to the interface. It kind of gets built into workflows at businesses, and it's really difficult to break that once it's there. Yeah, so DocuSign, I think, has a couple of advantages going for it that will that will make it uh, continue to be the leader in the space. Um, first off, DocuSign works with uh, over many different tech giants and has their um, software embedded in 300 different pre-built integrations with some uh, some very popular programs that are made by giants like Google, Microsoft, Oracle, uh, Salesforce. So if you want to use the DocuSign you, you, and you are using those products natively, it's a very seamless integration because it's already pre-built in. So that that convenience makes is one of the reasons why its, it's software is very very sticky, and um, a nice metric that you can use to look at to determine how sticky it is is uh, uh, for for a SaaS business is a dollar-based net revenue retention rate, which basically says from one year to the next how much money are the same existing customers spending on on uh, uh, with the platform. And uh, most recently, that figure was 115%. So not only is DocuSign keeping its customers around, but its existing customers are spending more with DocuSign each and every year. And those just lead to wonderful economics over time. 
Yeah, that dollar-based net retention rate number is a little wonky. People in the SaaS space know it well. If you're not familiar with it and you follow restaurant stocks, think of it as a comps number. You know, you have a store that was open a year ago, you have it open now. How are those sales performing? That rate of 115% is pretty darn high. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, they've typically been in the 112 to 119% range with that metric. Uh, there are a lot of SaaS companies that would kill for that type of net ret- uh, revenue retention rate number. Most of them are slightly over 100% if they're doing okay. Yeah, that's that, I, that's exactly right. Um, and another thing that I think is working in DocuSign's favor is that its 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 brand is extremely well known. Um, the the name DocuSign, as I mentioned before, I think is quickly becoming a verb where people say I'm going to DocuSign something, um, and that just creates instant uh, name recognition. Um, and then another factor that's that's uh, a reason that that stands out is when a company is looking to adopt an e-signature platform. Um, the name DocuSign not only instantly comes to mind, but there's a lot of social proof out there because these guys have so many customers that that makes it easy for them to choose DocuSign just because they're the leader and they the, the, the um, DocuSign has the data to show that their their uh, their signature has never been challenged in the court of law. So they have the data to prove that when somebody signs using their e-signature platform, that it stands the test that it stands up in the court of law. All right, turning to item number three, this is potential. And this is really just a look at, okay, what is out there in terms of a total addressable market? What is out there in terms of a customer base? Uh, It seems like this is a company that is going to benefit from some pretty strong tailwinds. Yeah, uh, the paper and uh, pen, uh, despite how long DocuSign has been out there, is still the dominant way that uh, agreements are played, uh, are made in the in the world of business today. Um, but DocuSign does have uh, hundreds of thousands of customers. Um, so uh, as of the end of the last fiscal year, it had over 370,000 uh, customers that were paying DocuSign, um, including uh, tens of thousands of them that were uh, in the, the um, that had at least 250 employees. So these are fairly uh big-sized customers. And that number sounds impressive, but DocuSign believes that it's basically penetrated about 1% of its total core uh, target market when you take all the the, the, uh, the potential agreements that are out there that are made every day. Only about 1% of them are currently made through DocuSign's uh, platform. So management estimates that its total addressable market, when you, when you add everything together, is about $25 billion. Um, when you compare that to the about $518 million that it hauled in last year, there's plenty of room left for this company to grow. Yeah, and I think there's a really big opportunity for this business internationally, too. Right now, most of their revenue, I think about 80% of their revenue, is coming from the U.S. Management has talked a decent amount about how there's a pretty big international opportunity out there. I'm inclined to agree. Uh, I, I totally agree. And DocuSign also can make use of uh, M&A and also layer in additional services over time to expand its, uh, its, its, its total addressable market, too. All right, we're about halfway through Brian's checklist. We're going to talk customers, management, and risks on the back half of the show. But before we do, support for this podcast and the following message come from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone. Is your business set up to spot trouble before it happens? According to the Harvard Business Review, most major revenue stumbles could have been avoided, but no one saw the early warning signs. That's why you need visibility into what's really happening with your business. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies are using NetSuite to manage their business, and now it's available to you. 
The power of the world's most popular cloud management system is more affordable than you think. You can get their free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. All right, Brian, let's get back to it. We are at item number four on your checklist, and this is a look at a company's customers. Yeah, customers are the lifeblood of any business, so I like to think about how a company interacts with its customers from a multitude of angles. So the first thing I look at is how expensive they are to to onboard. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, DocuSign is spending lavishly on sales and marketing right now to kind of grab as much of the pie as they see as they possibly can. Uh, So last year, they spent $278 million on sales and marketing, and they added about 85,000 new customers onto their platform. So that is a huge amount of money to spend on sales and marketing in any given year. Um, But since their customer base is growing so quickly and there are high switching costs, that's a trade-off that I think investors should be uh, happy about, especially since it is driving, it is leaving to uh, to top-line growth. Next, I like to think about how dependent a customer is once they become, once they sign on. Uh, I think that DocuSign's dollar-based net revenue retention rate of 115% is a really good indicator that once a customer becomes a customer, that they not only stick with it, but they spend more over time. Um, so that's that's something that I like to see. Um, and next thing I check is for is the is the revenue recurring? Um, and about 93% of DocuSign's revenue is recurring in nature, uh, recurring in nature, and it was earned from, from subscriptions last year. Uh, DocuSign also has a small services business where they kind of onboard companies, but that is a basically a, a break-even business form, and it's almost immaterial. So uh, you can say that the vast majority of their revenue is um, recurring. And, and lastly, I like to look at uh, pricing power. Does, does this company have the ability to raise prices or at least expand its gross margin over time? And if you look at their recent history, uh, DocuSign's gross margin was 71% in fiscal 2016, uh, which is a very good number on its own. But that number expanded to 77% in the most recent fiscal year. Um, so that's a clear sign that they are uh, leveraging their, their fixed costs and growing over time, which is great. Yeah, I'm with you on the customer acquisition costs being a little concerning. Um, you know what I think that ultimately boils down to is they're spending a lot for these customers. Are these customers going to behave the same way that past cohorts of customers have? Uh, if they are able to maintain this mid-teens dollar net retention number, then I think we're in okay shape. Uh, you know, but because that other metric is so strong, I'm not as worried about it. Um, but you want to kind of keep an eye on, okay, we're spending so much to bring these folks in. Are they behaving the way that all these other customers that we've brought in in the past have behaved? Totally agree. Like any software as a service business, that net reputation, net, net revenue uh, retention rate number is a key metric for investors to watch. All right, Brian, number five on this checklist is management and company culture. And this is something that we really focus on here at The Fool writ large. I think that it is so much easier to get on board with an investment when you know that the company is being run well, that employees like working there, uh, that they like management, because those are the kinds of things that lead to employee retention and generally tend to lead to pretty strong business results. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, This is a tech company. Uh, hiring and maintaining the best and the brightest is an absolute critical business function for them. So, uh, 
as I've said before, we like to check in on a company's culture to make sure it's a, a good place to work, that it has good leaders. Um, ideally, you'd see that the founder of a business is still running the show or at least involved. In DocuSign's case, Tom Gosner, um, Gonser is, is on the company's board of directors. He doesn't hold a management position uh, within the company, but he does have some influence since he is on the board. And uh, he also still owns about 2.1 million shares of DocuSign's stock. That's worth about $85 million at, uh, at current prices. So you can say that he absolutely has an incentive to uh, see this business to continue to succeed. Uh, moving on to their CEO, uh, they hired a new CEO about a, uh, 18 months ago named Dan Springer. Um, so he joined right before the, the IPO process, and he owns about $20 million worth of stock. Um, so he's relatively new, and I would like to see his ownership rates be higher. Uh, but if you look at the company's Glassdoor ratings, it's very clear that Springer is a is beloved by his employees. I mean, the, his approval rating amongst his employees is 98%. Um, that is so good that he literally placed third on Glassdoor's annual rating of CEOs. Uh, and he was ahead of leaders like uh, Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn and Mark Benioff of Salesforce and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. So employees really like working for Springer. And if you look at their overall just rating, uh, they get 4.6 stars out of five. So that's a that's a very good indicator that this is a great place to work. What you mentioned was a lot of the softer stuff that we look at with management, the glass door ratings, and and obviously skin in the game is important. Something that really stands out to me looking at management's role in this business is looking at the executive officers and directors. They control more than 25% of shares outstanding for this company. That is a lot of skin in the game by people that are going to be making big picture decisions. I love to see that. Uh, same here. And you want to know that the people that are in control of the company will be financially hurt if their stock goes down, just like you would as a shareholder. All right, last item on the checklist. And this is kind of one of my fun ones. This is like the what can go wrong element here, Brian. Uh, and this is this is the risks and kind of the stock. So painting a fuller picture of what's going on with this company. Why don't we start out with red flags and then we'll kind of wrap it all up talking about the company, a little bit on the valuation and what we think of the stock. Sure. So the first thing I check for is to make sure it's not a penny stock. I've been burned very badly when I first started investing on no on those. So there's DocuSign is absolutely not. Shares are trading for about $40 each, and the market cap is over $6 billion. Uh, next, I check up on the customers. I don't like to invest in businesses where there's excessive customer concentration, where if any one customer left, that it would cause the business harm. Uh, in DocuSign's case, they have hundreds of thousands of paying customers, and the largest one accounted for only about 3% of revenue. So that's not an issue here. Um, then I think about the industry in general. Is it facing long-term headwinds or long-term tailwinds? And I think it's a very clear argument that the market for electronic signatures is growing rapidly, and DocuSign is a big reason why. Uh, the next thing I think about is, is this business reliant on any outside forces for success? So does it need a strong economy or low interest rates or anything like, uh, anything like that? Um, I don't see any reason that DocuSign won't be able to grow, even if the, the global, economic, uh, global economy does slow down. So I don't think that's an issue. And then finally, I think about stock-based compensation. You don't want to see so much of the value that's being created going just to employees uh, through stock-based compensation. And when I look last year, uh, the total stock-based compensation for this company was only about $30 million. That's actually a very reasonable number compared to their $520 million in revenue and their $6 billion in market cap. So this company does not trip any of my 
thesis busting of red flags. For me, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the path that this company has gone on in its life on the public markets. Um, it was very quickly a stock market darling uh, and really shot up after its IPO. Uh, returns looked pretty good in the first couple months. Uh, and then it came crashing back down to earth and is now trading roughly around uh, where shares first hit the market, I believe. And uh, you look at the valuation and, and it really makes sense why that happened. So this is a company that has done or will do about 700 million, just under 700 million uh, this fiscal year. And there was a period where they were hitting uh, about a $10 billion valuation. Uh, trading at 14 times sales, give or take, is pretty rich. We're seeing them come back down a little bit to earth, and that puts them at a $6 billion market cap, like I said, somewhere in the neighborhood of 650, maybe 700 million uh, in revenue for the year. 10 times sales is a little bit more reasonable. It's still a little rich. Yeah, this company is priced for growth. There's no doubt about that. Um, even with its high valuation, though, uh, my personal view is that DocuSign checks so many of the boxes that I like to see in a business that I think that this is a great company to buy and hold today. Uh, I can tell you that I am personally not a shareholder, but as soon as the fool's trading rules allow, I do plan on purchasing shares myself. Yeah, and, and, and I think when you look at that valuation, people might balk at it, especially when you consider top-line growth is about 30%. And we've seen it come down a little bit over recent quarters. Um, I think the thing that you have to remind yourself of when you look at a company like this is, yes, there might be some decelerating growth, and that growth might not be 40% or 60% year over year. But with the structure of a subscription business, that's probably going to taper off over a much slower period. You know, the, the growth that it's enjoying, it will probably sustain for a decent amount of time, and I think the, the deceleration will be fairly slow because the expansion rate's great because they're bringing more customers on board. And they've also made some acquisitions where it's pretty clear that they're going to be building out their suite of products, which gives them more upsell opportunities. So, so yes, 30% growth might not be gangbusters, but also realize that the runway is long for this business. And I don't think the drop in growth rate is really going to be that severe over the next coming quarters or years even. I agree with you there. And the other thing to note is that this company uh, is, in its most recent quarter, uh, producing adjusted uh, earnings per share, not gap earnings per share, but they're basically right on the cusp of, of doing so. So it's very reasonable to assume that next year and thereafter that this company will actually be producing profits. And because their, their profit um, margin will be so small initially, you can expect, I believe, triple-digit uh, Profit growth for for many years, or at least uh, at least uh, the first couple of years, as the business continues to scale. Brian, I am with you on this being a uh, stock that I'm very interested in. It's, it's it's on my watch list now. We've given the necessary caveats in the past that when you're talking about a company that has been traded for less than 12 months, uh, you really need to take small bites. I think that that's an important approach. We want a dollar cost average no matter what we're buying into, but I think it's particularly important for companies that haven't even gone through their first four quarters on the public markets. Uh, and that's just because, you know, to the history that we've seen so far with DocuSign, there are probably going to be some pretty wild price movements. And if you are interested, just make sure that you are buying in installments with this company. You are not buying all at once and then banking on one cost basis. I think that's exactly the way to go. And you also want to, as we said on the last show about Upwork, you never know how a company is going to react to being in the public's eye and dealing with Wall Street's expectations for 
or producing good earnings report every 90 days. This company did exceed expectations in both of its first two earnings reports, which is a good sign. But I typically like typically like to give a company at least a year of being on the public markets before I would take a full position. Um, so I, as I said, I do plan on purchasing this this stock, but it would it would just be nibbling as we go along. Yeah, and, and I think that that's a great approach. That's actually something that we talk about in the 13 steps to investing. You know, when when we're trying to teach people how to invest, one of the things we mention is it's good to buy a share of a stock, even if it's you know just one share, because it gets you following that business. And so it might be that you're just getting introduced to the stock market, and you're just getting introduced to the idea of buying individual stocks, and you open up a Robinhood account where you don't have to pay to trade, and you buy one share, and maybe your entire brokerage account has $100 in it, but you're buying one share, you're going to find yourself following that business a lot more because you have skin in the game and because you're following the earnings reports that come out, the news that impacts it on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. And so, yes, there's a lot of value in getting a little bit there so that you can then kind of follow the story and be a little bit more invested, so to speak. That's, I think that's the right way to think about it. To, to have a little fun to wrap up, Brian, um, you mentioned Upwork in our discussion last week. I will put it to you. Uh, Upwork or DocuSign, if you're buying one, which one do you like more? So I I think that there's reason to be bullish on both companies. Um, but if I if if I was forced to choose just one, uh, my personal choice would be DocuSign. Uh, I, I think that the corporate culture is a little bit stronger. It's growing a little bit faster, and I see it as the far and away leader in its industry. I think Upwork is too, um, but my money would just be on DocuSign. How about you? You know, uh, I think I'm going to take the other side of this one. <laughs> uh, I think they're both really strong businesses. Uh, the as a service segment in general has been so strong, uh, and there have been so many great companies that have come out of there for investors. Uh, I like that Upwork's a bit smaller. You know, we're working with a two billion dollar valuation, roughly, for Upwork, um, and DocuSign is about six. I think that they both have huge addressable markets in front of them, and that this might be more of a semantic argument <laughs> than, than anything else. But uh, I, I'm with you. I think the culture is probably better at DocuSign. Um, there were some issues in Upwork's recent report with growth decelerating a bit, um, but I like the tailwind of the gig economy. Uh, I, I think DocuSign also benefits from some strong tailwinds, but. For my money, I think I like the idea of working with a smaller valuation to start um, and maybe blossoming into something a little bit larger. So, just by the sheer nature of what it might multiply to, I think I'm a little bit more interested in Upwork. Well, the awesome thing about investing is you don't have to make a choice. You can buy both if you want to. It's not a zero-sum game, which is so wonderful. Um, Brian, thanks for hopping on and sharing your thoughts. Uh, I hope you enjoy the ham that you and the family are going to be making. I hope you have fun cooking your turkey. <laughs> All right. Take care. We'll talk soon. talk soon. See ya. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or you can catch all the videos from this podcast over on our YouTube channel. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!